The Loose Cannons podcast is a free-form discussion about film that contains mature language, such as poop and titty, and descriptions of mature situations, such as filing taxes and raising children. We do not have any concern for spoilers, so if you haven't seen the film or films we are discussing and don't want to have the twists ruined for you, please watch the film before listening to the podcast. Tu et tu auras tout. Par la flamme et par la cendre, deux et deux ne font plus quatre. Je vous vois venir, Riva. Et je vous vois vous en aller. Disparaître. Pour de bon. Sans tapis volant ni tour de passe-passe. Hey everyone, it's another Loose Cannons podcast coming at you. Today we have a guest host joining us, Mitchell, as you may remember from previous podcasts. We'll be filling in for Basil. Hello, Hello. Mitchell. Hello, everyone. Hello. I'm happy to be here again. What an happy exciting to you, movie to land on. <laughs> Thanks, the, guys. Uh, and of course, the rest is your normal crew, me, Ruben, Patrick, and Ilya. Yep. Yep. Today we're going to be discussing 1976's Duel, or in English it's called Twilight, <laughs> with the Y spelled W-H-Y. <laughs> I like that pun, uh, too. Directed by Jacques Rivette. It was supposed to be part of a four-part film series, but only the first two were ever completed before he had a nervous breakdown uh, about the project. But uh, before we have our own nervous breakdown, let's do a little <laughs> segment we like to call Harold's and Announcements. <laughs> Patrick, do you have anything you would like to herald or denounce? Yes, um, I saw The Reflecting Pool, which is a, um, forgetting his name now, I think it's Frank Viola correctly uh bill viola sorry frank viola is a pitcher from the, the <laughs> twins um bill viola a uh who's like an art artsy short film maker um he works a lot with uh he, put, he puts a lot of like static noise in his films um and he's very into i guess sort of like warping visuals and uh oral landscapes it's very interesting to watch his movies because um it's kind of one of those like headphones on experiences where you're just like, I don't know, intense into what you're watching and hearing. Um, but yeah, this one's this one was pretty cool. I think uh, it's him kind of tweaking a lot of the stuff that he does in some of his earlier movies to kind of a really fine tune direction where he's he, it seems more focused, I guess, than a lot of the earlier ideas that he has, and he. He plays a lot with the um, kind of like messing with the film in a way, like special effects before there were, you know, like computer graphics. So like really interesting ways of messing with the film, like half of it doing one thing and half of it doing something else completely. And it it looks really interesting. And uh, he also does really interesting things with the soundscapes, like filling them with all these crazy ambient noises. And this movie is just like real intense to watch and, even like small things in it end up like jumping out at you and kind of surprising you in weird ways. So uh, yeah, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah. Or no, Mitchell. Sorry. Oh, it's me already. Okay. Yeah. Um, I saw a lot of good and bad things this week. I'm back on my movie grind, um, but I guess I'm going to go with the flashiest, hottest take, of course. <laughs> Uh, I saw James Gray's Lost City of Z, and it's a very boring movie. Um, <laughs> oh, my Lord. Um, I guess I won't get too deep into it. I don't know if anybody here has nope. seen it yet. Yeah, yeah. I might see it next week. Okay, so I'll be light on details here, but um, I don't know. I thought The Immigrant was pretty all I'm not right. that concerned. Okay, cool. You know what? There's actually zero things to spoil anyway in this. Like, not a lot happens. You could fill in the details on your own, probably. Um, 
I don't know, for a guy who's like apparently super concerned about gatekeepers getting in the way of him and his creative vision, his movies feel super gatekeepery. They feel like it's hard to enjoy them completely unless you're like really tapped into like the American canon. Um, and you really have like a good idea of like cinematic grammar and what like certain shots are supposed to mean, which would be all fine and good. And it's interesting that he uh, fetishizes these things to such a degree, but it's an empty movie. He never really has anything new to say that wasn't already being said in the movies that he's imitating. Um, and I feel like most of his movies end up saying that same thing, basically. Um, it's it's very hard to get excited about. It's very stuffy. It's very fussy. About 20 minutes in, I knew I wasn't really going to be on board, and he never really surprised me after that. I continued to not be on board. Uh, so, you know, I keep trying to work on this guy, and I still really only like The Immigrant, and even that. There's some asterisks. Yeah. But. I didn't. So it goes. Yeah, I didn't even like the immigrant. I think it was on my bottom ten actually for Ooh. one of those years. So, Whoa! Yeah, I'm not a big fan of James Gray. So, what it's worth. Yeah. Um, in Atlanta, Free Fire, Lost City of Z, and Twin Peaks Firewalk with me are all playing next week, and they're all movies that I'm mildly excited about. And I can't decide whether or not three mildly excited is hmm. enough to go to Atlanta. Normally, I want at least one that I'm super excited yep. by. I watched all three of those in the past two weeks, coincidentally enough. Um, Fire Walk With Me is the best of the three. Mm. I, I like Free it. Fire better than Z as well. Z's at the bottom of that three. So, uh, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, um, I watched... Uh, I haven't seen Free Fire yet. I watched I Moonlight to. and I watched Get Out. Uh, and I feel like kind of similar about both as in like mildly positive but not really super excited um, I thought like they're actually pretty similar in that they're both at, like really good acting uh, or at least like Moonlight is probably more across the board except for the mom um, and even that's like mostly the character's oh, fault sure. but like uh, who I yeah, think we're all in yeah. agreement and, like, on um, and get out uh, has really good uh, both acting by the main character Daniel Kaluuya and really good stunt casting by casting Marnie Williams uh, as like a night nice Allison little tip Williams. of the hat Allison Williams yeah, yeah Marnie is See, a that's, fictional that's character's just, name yeah Allison that's Williams just already in my head it's all like mashed together <laughs> so it's like a tip of the hat to like the steady racial unawareness of girls and you know her dad and his like li lying oh, yeah. ass those beautiful oh, missiles beautiful <laughs> missiles bullshit crazy yeah. warmongering just like as a fake like as the most famous fake on tv at this at this point um i thought it was like a really interesting way of uh casting someone who's like pseudo woke or like purported to be woke uh but it isn't um and uh but yeah like both like had their moments but she played peter pan <laughs> i'm sure we'll get into like get out maybe a little at the end of the year discussion or something because i think there's a lot to like talk about in that movie um but i was like in the end like like both with both movies i was like uh yeah like both have like both are like nice first steps you know but they like became super huge and uh, so I don't know yeah. if that means like yeah. both directors are going to like feel like, oh, we really need to get better or they're going to say, oh, we definitely are so good right now <laughs> that we don't have to improve <laughs> at all. So we'll see. Killing it. <laughs> I heard that Jordan Peele's next project is going to be the remake of Japan anime classic Akira. Oh, um, yeah. Which... Unlike David Gordon Green directing Halloween is a very different clash of sensibilities that I'm actually mm. interested in. Like, I'm like, what would Jordan Peele bring to Akira? Curious. Yeah. A lack of I, I, whitewashing, I maybe? Like some, well, yeah, I seem to be some, mm -hmm. seem to remember some, like, I don't know, like, some, some tips that he may be, like, 
a, a way bigger nerd than he comes off as on Key and Peele. Like, there were just some, like, little things that I would pick up on from time to time where I was like, huh, he seems like he's a really big nerd. Oh, yeah. I, <laughs> I guess, mean, like, Get Out is a very yeah. nerdy film, if, like, you dig just slightly below yeah. the surface. It's just, like, it's Quentin Tarantino, but without nearly as much obviousness. With all the stuff that he's borrowing from, like John Carpenter and Stanley Kubrick and stuff like that, mm. and the deep love of like black exploitation films, and it's like yeah, it's I all know, like it, in my there. like near yeah. near hot take I, almost review that I didn't quite post yet, uh, but maybe will post. I called it like this, like this could have been like a Rosemary's Baby for interracial couples, like in the way that like he's just surrounded by people who don't understand him, and he's like you know unable to make his like suffering and like uh, his inability to like uh, make other people understand how everything around him is wrong um, uh, but it doesn't really carry that weight instead it's like a long key and peel skit that's like kind of dramatic like the one they had about the gymnasts kind of like it's creepy in that same way Okay, um, I think I can't remember whether I said it on podcast or off podcast, but in case I said it on podcast, just wanted to clarify. Um, I said that I wasn't going to be heralding or denouncing any 2017 movies. What I meant was I wasn't going to be heralding or denouncing any 2017 movies that I thought could make any of the end of the year podcasts. So <laughs> I'm going to denounce Colossal, um, which I saw. I can obviously remember that guy's first name, but I can't uh, remember his last name. Nacho. Bigalondo, I believe. Yeah. Um, it's his newest film. Uh, kind of a blend of uh, sort of indie, dramedy, and kaiju films. Um, and it was bound to happen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, you know, it has a lot of the same problems that Time Crimes does, <laughs> which that he's, like, way more concerned with, like, twistiness, and, like, twistiness isn't, like, really that important to me. Um, and, you know, a lot of the, like, other possibly interesting, like, character beats and stuff are, like, rushed over pretty quickly because it's more interested in, like, plot contrivances. Um, but basically what it actually sort of boils down to is that, like, the first hour of the movie, like, is so boring, and I don't even really know, like, what it's about. There's, like, four or five different potential conflicts introduced, um, and then the second half of the movie focuses in on just one of those conflicts, and the second half of the movie is probably, like, a three-star movie, um, and, like, I would even say that, uh... Although Dan Stevens' character is unnecessary and could just be excised from the film entirely, that both Dan Stevens and Jason Sudeikis, if this year is as bad for male acting as last year was, will probably be close to, if not on, my nominations list. Um, But yeah, essentially that first part just, it doesn't seem like it knows where it's going. It introduces like a bunch of different conflicts, like, you know, uh, Anne Hathaway's character is uh, sort of an alcoholic and she doesn't know how to get her life together. And then she also has this ex-boyfriend drama that she's dealing with. And then, you know, there's this monster thing and uh, all of that stuff is like, a lot of that doesn't come together in any meaningful way. And the only sort of meaningful conflict is the one that's sort of between her and Jason Sudeikis's character, which I won't spoil too much, but that he has sort of an interesting twist and in that he like, you know, seems like a decent guy at the beginning of the movie and then he's not so much <laughs> of a decent guy by the oh. end and sort of the ways in which men will try to manipulate women into caring about them um, and all that stuff was interesting to me but uh it you know basically i was so i disliked the first hour so much like it was it was in my bottom 10 of the year after the first hour but then the second hour was enjoyable enough that it pulled it up to you know just a two star uh. rating as opposed to a one star rating so 
did not I, like that movie. I think it'll get a very exciting two and a half star rating for me when I get around to reviewing yeah. it finally. Um, but I agree. I think I think the first hour shouldn't have been a whole first hour. I think they are trying to misdirect in ways that are sort of interesting and playing on kind of like Sundancey movie tropes in ways that are sort of funny in hindsight. But it's such a plotting hour and it's so poorly paced that like even if you do want to read it that way, it's just like not worth the time you have to sink into it. But the second hour was a kind of breath of fresh air and I didn't see it coming at all. And I walked out somewhat satisfied and would agree that Jason Sudeikis is an early contender for a supporting actor nod potentially this year sucks Um, I think I I need to look at my list but I think he would be third right now so he could end up on the list but he's definitely he won't he definitely already won't win sure um, he's already behind the curve yeah I already like him I mean, I liked him and Dan Stevens in it a fair amount. Mm-hmm. And uh, Gaston Collins really, really likes Anne Hathaway in it, although he still thought the movie was only fine. I, didn't, I guess I don't, yeah, I don't disagree still get her appeal, with but that. I, don't, I also don't get the anger at her yeah, either. Yeah, like, to me, I'm very indifferent towards Anne Hathaway. <laughs> I agree. I think, if anything, it's mostly just using her in an interesting way that's conscious of how people perceive her less so than it's like necessarily yeah. a great performance from her but it's not a bad performance either if you haven't read chaos and Cohen's review of colossal it's better than the movie so i recommend it i'll do that i'll get and right I was on very, that hmm. <laughs> i was very close to giving it two and a half stars as well because i walked out of the movie feeling like okay yeah and then i was like you know what i really want to make sure like that first hour was so bad. Like, I don't feel like the fact that I walked out of it, like, kind of happy to make me ignore how unhappy I was for, like, 40 minutes. So unhappy that because I was in the theater by myself, uh, about 45 minutes into the movie, I turned my phone back on and started texting Basil, which yeah. I never do in the theater. <laughs> I was in a similar headspace. It was also a little satisfying that a lot of people were showing up to it in earnest and thought that like the horrible sounding conceit was actually a cool sounding conceit. And then they left the movie kind of jarred and disappointed. And so I was kind of into that. Um, but I don't know. That might just be me being petty. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So let's let's get into this All movie. Right. This yeah, is Zoe's it is pick. my pick, uh, and it means I have to do the plot. Oh. I have to do the plot for this movie, which is uh, <laughs> interesting. Um, so instead of giving the plot, I'm gonna I'm gonna like give like a basic idea of sort of what apparently is happening in this movie, um, which is that it's a story of like these two. I guess it would say like uh, forces in human form like the daughter of the moon by the name of Lenny and a daughter of the sun by the name of Viva and uh, they're both like sort of trying Mm. to stay in the human world like apparently they right now are both only able to remain there for 40 days but in order to extend that time and remain in the human world permanently they have to find this crystal that is kept by a guy named by the name of Pierrot. And uh, that's like sort of like the, 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 like the story behind like uh, everything that's happening, um, which like starts off as kind of like a noirish movie. Like Lenny shows up at a hotel and there's this young girl by the name of Lucille who's like the night porter and Lenny starts talking to her and asking her about this guy that she like wants to find out about and like who used to be at this hotel. She gives her money to like basically help her find him. Um, and then like other like noirish stuff happens with her where she like goes to like a quasi bordello, I guess, where there's this ticket girl who she dances with and also asks about this guy. <laughs> Um, meanwhile, Viva shows up at a card game where this uh, Pierrot is playing and losing terribly at Baccarat. Um, and it's pretty clear that like Lenny and Viva are like the main 
like forces in this movie like everything is kind of happening around them and people are like reacting to what they're doing but like it's not really really apparent what exactly is going on for a lot of the time so like even this what I'm saying is like kind of stuff that I kind of uh, came up with after the fact um, but yeah I guess that's like the basic fund fundament foundation on which this movie is built all right, so when I turned on my recorder, it was at two bars. Now it is at zero. I don't know how much time that means that I have left, so my, oh my Lord. contribution to this podcast might be minimal. But, uh, <laughs> oh I like this film. Uh, not a lot. Um, if I were making a best cinematography of 1976 list, this would probably win, and it would probably be on the short list for best cinematography of the 1970s. But just like without one the dialogue is so obtuse and unreadable um that it makes it really hard for me to really really like the movie and like it's kind of a funny joke uh, on like film noir tropes in and of itself and like you know twisting and turning and stuff like that and playing off those ideas and also maybe you know talking about myths and that also having sort of like a high-minded dialogue, but kind of like the joke in another um, genre-bending French film that we discussed on this podcast, uh, Sir La Bouche, where the lighting is kind of bad, and it's like kind of a joke on musical genre conventions. The joke is way longer than I can continue to laugh at it. And so at a certain point, I'm just sort of annoyed with the dialogue, and I wish it, I could follow it more easily also patrick appears to yeah. have disappeared so yeah patrick vanished and then we'll oh i'll try and buy us some time here <laughs> this might be a two-person <laughs> podcast soon <laughs> um yeah i'm on board for this it was really jarring um my thought throughout like the first half of it was like oh my lord i don't think i've ever seen anything like this before like, obviously, I've seen many a genre mashup or so forth, but this, like, mashes them up so jarringly and unexpectedly that uh, it starts to feel really, like, uh, kind of alien. It's it's very, very strange. Um, but as sort of turning film noir tropes into something mythic and big, I think it's a, a funny idea and kind of using practical on-location sets and using tricks of lighting and cinematography to kind of give them like a fantastical ethereal air is neat and smart and made me think of like what would happen if i don't know the kuchars had a budget or something like that it was that sort of kind of imaginative playfulness um pretty into all that and the the structure just uh kept me going too because i don't entirely disagree with ruben that it is sort of in a sense, a one-note joke stretched to movie length. But I think the way the joke unfurls and is doled out kind of kept me hooked in, and I kept being just like, what is happening now? And then I was back on board again. Um, and lots of room for improv. That was a lot of fun. Like, that good old turtle, that was very serendipitous. I don't know. We can get to turtles <laughs> later. <laughs> Sorry we skipped you, Patrick. No, you it's fine. but... Yeah, I, I dropped out. My computer has decided that it doesn't want to act like it's on the internet anymore. I don't... Let's fuck this thing. It's a piece of shit. Uh, I'm on my phone now, though. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I liked this movie. Um, like Mitchell said, it's it's very playful, and uh, I think I responded really well to the playfulness in it. Uh, I also think that whoever designed the costumes in this is a fucking genius. Like, the costumes are so good. Uh, I just I just kept, like wanting to see like what else are they going to come out wearing in this movie because every time that the women showed up they were wearing something else ridiculous and awesome and i was just like this is great this is like uh i i, I would almost like if i was teaching a like costuming your characters and in, in film i'd be like this is the movie that i'm showing people right here because look at these costumes and look how awesome they are um but yeah, no, I, I really enjoyed the sort of noir elements to the beginning of it. And as, as it kept, like, got progressively crazier and crazier, uh, I was just like, well, this is kind of a fun escalation of, you know, just complete nonsense. Uh, 
that I don't think that I've ever. I, well, I guess I have seen the likes of before. I, I've I've seen uh, Celine and Julie go boating, so I've seen uh, Rivette like ramp up the nonsense before. But yeah, I I mean uh, I enjoyed I enjoyed the way that he ramped it up in this one. Yeah, yeah, I like this movie a lot too. I thought it was really uh, fun, like uh, ode to like femininity, <laughs> like just like women dictating this whole movie's <laughs> pace, like uh, kind of representing different archetypes and like playing with them a lot. Uh, uh, thought a lot about how it's funny that this movie basically doesn't have any music and except for that guy who plays the piano in that in that hall where like you he's great who's and it, pl- he's playing the piano in the background of like several yeah. scenes and it's like a movie that would like play like so well with like a like orchestral disco soundtrack would be just so perfect like um and no wonder it's released 1976 which is like when the first 12 inch was released so like this is like a perfect disco movie, but um, anyway, um, I thought like the couple of really fun scenes, like uh, the, the the scene where you see that Pierrot playing cards, and like usually, and that that kind of scene is like you see like a guy playing cards, and like he's like a I don't know, like the way he's framed is he like just keeps losing and losing and losing, and then like when the camera tilts towards like who he's losing to it's this red-headed woman that just keeps like laughing at his face and like how bad he is um and like she's filmed like from the back and like is all mysterious and i'm like i don't know like this is very like almost like a i don't know like a, a very obvious like hymn to like women in film but um, even when he's like putting women on like a pedestal like that, uh, at least he does it mostly very charmingly. So um, yeah, I was on board with it. Uh, I just want to say this one thing. Uh, make sure I get this comment in in case I get cut off at some point during this podcast, which is that there's a scene um, where uh, they're in like a dance hall and uh, it's the first time I believe that Lenny and Viva meet, or at least for sure the very first time, like there's like a maybe a flash or the lights go down and they're all dressed in like more, you know, like not non-standard clothes, like I don't know, with like jewels and then they're like discussing being, you know, the whatever daughters of the sun and the moon or something that hasn't been introduced to that point. But um, the song that's playing in the dance hall mm. right before that happens reminded me really strongly of the Super Mario Brothers 2 theme. The very that's goofy it. piano not a track. Comment, but I think it's. It, I had to continue my uh, talking about how old films relate to Nintendo, like when I talked about how that one guy was the predecessor to Donkey Kong. Yeah. yeah, he climbs up buildings oh. and throws barrels. Yeah, Bill Bill Roberts. I think that's I think that's fitting because it's not a very intellectual movie. It's like a movie that's just like, here you go. There's like some mysticism here for you. Here's like some 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 like like archetypes, some roles like women looking like women you've seen before from movies, but like talking mostly like non nonsensical dialogue to each other and it's like oh yeah I, like i like this but i don't know why like it's like almost like plays like on that level a lot yeah there were also some really like uh, moments that i laughed out loud at like there was a a part where um it's the uh, it's viva has uh lucille like in the in this like billiards room and she's talking to her and then like this guy appears in the doorway and Viva's talking to her like she's going to like sick the guy on her or something like that and she like snaps her fingers and Lucille goes ah and like ducks her head down and she goes get the get the girl a cognac or something like that <laughs> it's just like <laughs> she's just ordering you a drink quit freaking out <laughs> it's just like this nice fake out where you think the guy's gonna attack her it's just like ordering her a drink 
<laughs> you know what movie this movie reminded me of in a strange way? The Neon Demon. <laughs> <laughs> me I neither. have not seen it. Why so? Extrapolate. Because it's... <laughs> It's like this, like Ilya sort of hinted at, it's like all this battle between women and like all these, you know, women forces. And then like the men are really sort of like ancillary to everything that's going on. Um, But this movie isn't nearly as straight faced as that one. So it's a lot more easier to take, I think, a male director you know, making a movie about women being scare quotes bitches <laughs> to each other. <laughs> well, I I would, yeah, I would say that that would be problematic if that was the kind of movie that it seemed to be. But it also seems like Rivette is really letting the actresses, like, play and have fun with what they're doing. And that, I think I responded to that as well, because it looked like the actresses were, like, really just having a big old time, just, like, you know, creating in a way. Um, and I like I the woman who looks like Terry Gar a lot. Oh yeah, that's uh, yeah, v- <laughs> Viva. Yeah, she's great. Viva. She's yeah. also in Out One, and she's been in Out One as well. Yeah, and and didn't you say that Out One is basically like people doing theater exercises? It's just like actors. That's doing a theater significant exercises. portion of it. Another significant portion of it is similar to this, and that it involves uh, Jean-Pierre Leo trying to unravel a conspiracy that doesn't make any sense and. For sure, the funniest part of that movie, and almost drew me back into enjoying it, is when he's just writing nonsense on a chalkboard, and he's just connecting like these things. You know, he like writes a word, and he's like, "It has four letters." The fourth <laughs> word of the second paragraph of this is. <laughs> I'm like, That's this a is good pretty funny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh man. But I think yeah. there's some like. No, but- acting exercise element to this as well i don't know if that's where you were taking it yeah yeah that's that's what i was gonna say well this movie is certainly very theatrical like the huge lighting cues when someone like says something and then it all goes dark and then like someone steps into a spotlight and stuff like that the acting itself is like very like um like there's there's like moments in this where i'm like i like are they like like on mdma or something (laughs) like there's like these these moments where, <laughs> when uh, the other, one of the other uh, female characters in this, which um, who's like plays this ticket girl, like forget her name. Uh, she has two names in this movie. Yeah. Elsa. Elsa and Jean, Jean I yeah. think. Elsa yeah. and Jean. Oh Jean. yeah. yeah. Elsa, there's that. There's that scene where she's talking to uh, Lenny uh, when Lenny comes in, like with her hair like slicked back and stuff like that. And they dance and then they're, they're sitting together and. Like Jean or Elsa is describing something to her, and she's like, like, doing this hand gesture where she just like gestures towards something. Like her her mouth is kind of open. I'm like, yeah, that's the stuff like people do when they're like really feeling it. Like there's they're feeling something, and they like want to communicate something, <laughs> but it's too big to communicate. And it's like, I don't know. Like a lot of times, it's like so, like I don't know, like the acting is kind of silly in this movie but it's like silly in a in a fun fun way rather than like a let's make fun of the people acting this way yeah i think it's very audacious it's like them just really fucking leaning into it and going for it and i think you have these you know these very just kind of like average whatever looking women run of the mill who are like supposed to be goddesses and that's all generated through these kind of go for broke performances plus lighting plus camera work and they kind of like generate something that resembles a deity just through those three things and kind of going back to the acting exercise thing too did a little research because i didn't know i was going to be on this podcast until after i watched the movie um, found out that like the piano playing was all improvised um, and they set up like a lot of scenes where they were just like letting people go off in the background and do their own thing and the actresses just basically had to like concentrate on their lines and deliver mm. their lines while some guy was playing like a random diegetic piano tune yeah. to trip them up that sounds like super mario's um, but they just keep going <laughs> yeah. through it yeah. and i think <laughs> I, I i got the sense yeah i got the sense that 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 there was like a contest going on between the foreground and the background like yeah it was almost the way the movie was set up where it was like 
which which part are you focusing on? Like, can you can you stay focused on what's happening in the story while all this shit is going on in the background? There's like a full band playing at one point. It's just really loud over. Well, there's definitely, a, and it's very and funny because it's like, like hidden in the shadows, and then like the light comes up. And instead <laughs> of doing an edit, he just like messes with lighting to make like there's a band there now. Like, <laughs> there's definitely like yeah. a contest. Yeah, I don't want to yeah, get too. Sorry. S- mm-hmm. Oh, I just said I, I don't want to get too simplistic with the reading of this film, but in many ways, like, the very first image sort of sets you up for, like, everything that this film is about. Like, you have this close-up of this woman's face, and, like, you immediately know what's going on, even though you can't see it. And then, of course, you know, it pulls to a wider shot, and you see that she's trying to balance on something, and, like, that sort of, like... <laughs> Something is about like something you as an audience member. It's like it's kind of the film is constantly shifting underneath you and you're trying to stay focused. And it's kind of like that first shot is you looking at yourself, how you're going to see the film as mm. you watch it. There's also definitely fun. a battle like going on between <laughs> Lenny and uh, Viva uh, for like person who has like the best way to walk across a room. Like generally every time they're in a place and they're usually like in either in a hotel or in this dance hall or in some factory like there's there's always like these like weird like places that they're they're all stuck in um but generally like most of the drama is generated by the way like how they move around some other character mm. um and they both have like their own like style of like how they walk towards people like how they walk around the whole room it was really fun to like kind of just like uh see how like i don't know if any of that was like blocked or whatever <laughs> like a lot of it seemed like just like okay like let like let's go just uh yeah uh you're this goddess whatever <laughs> like play 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 it like a goddess yeah yeah it was reminding me a lot of like Fassbender and like Chinese roulette with these very specific deliberate movements yeah. and weird blocking. Um, and I know um, the guy who plays Piero was actually like a professional dancer, maybe a ballet, oh, something like you know, that. So like these people are very. Uh, yeah, you know who he reminded <laughs> me of? Uh, the guy from um, Beau Travail, um, Denis Lavant. Oh. Uh, uh, Yes. Rhythm of the night. Yes. He's also like this like older but like 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 I don't know like really fit looking like guy who's like clearly like ready to fuck at at any given moment. Like he's just like he's really he's there. Like just give him a chance. Yeah. He's really gonna go for it. Um and like he's a professional that makes super sense. Yeah. Hmm. And I think like there's like even like I don't know I think this movie's full of like a lot of illusions that are just way over my head because mm. I don't know Rebet was on some stuff but um like I think <laughs> <laughs> I think that guy in particular like I think it was um shoot what's his name I don't know somebody uh, I should have done better research on all this but he had like an entire ballet written for him by some other canonical French director who Rivette's paying homage to elsewhere uh-huh. in the movie. Um, things like, like that. Like Nijinsky or something? Um, and I think there's like... No, no. Um, here, keep talking. I'll no, figure it out yeah. real quick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Another yeah. note that I have is um, the cinematography looks a lot like one of my favorite movies, Love and Anarchy. It has a mm. lot of camera movements like that one, and it also has a very sort of like beige-ish look to it and like a lot of really strong lighting there's one part where they're in like I don't know if it's like a train station or like a bedding track or something there's like all these pieces of paper on the floor so I thought it might be a bedding place people were throwing there tickets that didn't pay out (laughs) on the ground and there's like light coming in through windows through like kind of like chalky like smoke or something like that it's really cool and yet those two movies are entirely different so it's funny to me because that movie is all like heightened emotions and like overt yeah. politics and this movie is all like obtuse uh art aesthetics and uh um, yeah. all about like you know uh metaphysics medical and mysticism. And stuff. yeah yeah for sure 
Yeah, and I, and I, yeah. I like that. But not I even that. like real mysticism, like commentaries on commentaries on commentaries <laughs> yeah. on mysticism. Yeah, I, and I, I like that scene that you're talking about, Sue, because I think that's the first time that we see Lenny and Viva like together in the same place. And we first start to get the idea that they're kind of like, I don't know, pulling the strings because they're sort of watching everyone else that's that's interacting in that scene, which I think is... Um, isn't that Elsa and uh, Piero in that scene? If I'm I don't know the name of that correctly. woman, but Piero's with yeah. a taller woman, and they're having a conversation. Yeah, yeah, it's Piero and someone else having a conversation, but it's where, you know, like, uh, Viva and uh, Lenny are both sort of, like, ducking between people in the crowd and, like, just kind of walking around. It, it did remind me a lot of uh, Selena and Julie go boating also because there's, like, long scenes of them just, like, following people around. And I was like, oh, it's sort of the same thing where they're just kind of like, you know, I, I guess he was just like, just move through the crowd, just follow them, just like do do your thing. And, and so they're just kind of like walking between people and there's this whole space filled with bodies and light. And yeah, I just I really liked the way that that was like blocked or and or just like improvisingly blocked by the actors themselves. Did you find out who this dancer was? So I I. I did. Uh, uh, not a dancer, uh, but the, the, the director, of course, it was Cocteau. Okay, yeah. um, should have thought of yeah. that before. But um, also, I know there's um, he had a play called Knights of the Round Table that's explicitly quoted in this at some point um, and stuff. Uh, but it's just like an interesting merging of these, like, what then would have probably been even more, like, niche high art references with the film noir, with the goofy fantasy. Yeah. Uh, Real postmodern. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Rivette, based off the two films of his I've seen, sure loves his Brecht. Oh, yeah. Yeah. There's the Fassbender connection. These two guys who love Brecht so much. Two, two German. Yeah, right. You guys like that turtle? I like the fish. <laughs> well, I oh, mean, I yeah, the, remember the turtle. The whole the turtle's aquarium, great. <laughs> there kept there kept being allusions back to the water too. They kept talking about the water in uh, the other scene where I think it's Elsa is talking about like she had a dream that she was uh, in the ocean or the water or something. I can't. It was a no, it was a lake. She said she had a dream that she was like in a lake or something like that. And I, hmm. they were also talking about the the guy who yeah, and I think is supposedly like looking for at the beginning, like being destroyed by fire and then like recombining in the water or something like that. There's just weird allusions to water. And I was like, I don't know what any of this means, but it's so like <laughs> kind of fun with the way that the visuals are played with, especially in that scene where the like turtles just behind the woman's head. Yeah. Just going, uh. What a great turtle. <laughs> Harry. <laughs> Very good timing on that turtle. <laughs> I think they refer to the nightclub as feeling like the bottom of a fishbowl at some point or something like that. Um, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. Just constant imagery of being just kind of floating around. Yeah, so so there's different like mixed metaphors of like water is life, and then like the fishbowl being this thing where you're sort of gawked at, and uh, you know, I guess. I don't. Know, I don't know. I, I wish I could remember what exactly she says like about actors being, are gawked at. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I wish I could look at. I wish I could look at my notes, but now that I'm on my phone, I can't open my uh, notepad to look at what I wrote. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> Advantage of pen and paper. Yeah. Mm. yeah, yeah. Analog technology. I don't write. Yeah. I don't write fast enough. I'm. I'm a real slow writer. I think that's why. Yeah, I, I have that issue as well. <laughs> Um, so like the reason, part of the reason why when I said like not mysticism, but commentary on commentary on commentary on mysticism is there's this one part where like, obviously this movie is like a little bit about gender and there's this one scene in that dance hall where I believe it's Lenny is dancing with a woman who's in a suit with like her hair slicked back and like kind of up so that it looks short even though it's long. And it's like, oh, this is gender play. It's a woman dancing with another woman, but she's dressed like a man. But then, like, she's also not dressed like a man because her suit is, like, yeah. sparkly. 
and she's wearing like a yeah. bunch of makeup and so it's like really obvious that she's a woman so it's like gender play within gender play and i'm like this is yeah that weird. is <laughs> yeah that is lenny uh she she plays that uh uh okay. the one um and i think like really well uh there's like a bunch of scenes where like i don't know there's like sudden kissing but it's like weird like all of the stuff here that would ordinarily play like oh eroticized like almost like sexploitation or whatever um doesn't quite work like that here because it's like whatever like they just like barely kiss and then like that's it and uh every time it's just weird <laughs> like the movie generally like the way it like plays with like eroticism is generally like it's too kind of heightened and silly to really be erotic or like very erotic um and it doesn't really take that like too seriously um where like otherwise a movie in which like women powerful women characters are like fighting each other and whatever is like especially in the 70s that would be like something like jean roland did like a ton or whatever um and here it's just like some nice sound effects <laughs> um sorry that's yeah this this guy drives down our street fucking blows the horn every good day for him um unique individual <laughs> yeah so here it doesn't really feel that way and although like there's like uh hints at that it doesn't really ever really go into that sphere too much like uh lisa didn't feel that way to me Yeah, I don't know. It seems to like poke fun at like ostensible transgressiveness at times in that way. Um, it does kind of like bump up against sexuality and then just kind of like steer right yeah, away right back. in yeah. ways that feel like yeah <laughs> might be poking fun at audience expectations once more. Yeah, but I don't know. It's very much a rabbit hole of a movie. Yeah, yeah. I know it's like a hard a movie to like love. I feel like into. I don't know. Like it's so, <laughs> it's such a cipher of a. It's one of Steven's. Yeah, I saw that though. too. Yeah. Yeah, I saw that five star review. <laughs> yeah. It's like, yeah, I love it. He, he's a he's a, yeah. Well, he, he's a big fan of Rivet in general. I think. Yeah. Judging by. The, We've already discussed yeah. this off podcast, but I don't really understand Stephen's taste whatsoever. <laughs> I think after you see a certain number of movies, like your taste like uh, levels up, and you're just like, "Oh my god, it's on a, it's on a whole different plane." Thing. <laughs> can't even understand. <laughs> it's like uh, we were talking about the Fate of the Furious. It's like. I'm Mr. Nobody when it comes to hell, and he's Cypher. Yes. You know, secrecy security just smashes yeah. through my seeming important secrecy security. What a great analogy. I thought it was, I thought it was because you were really into that Belgian ale. <laughs> you gotta try I mean, that I do Belgian like Belgian ale. air more, more than Corona. Corona's not a very good beer. It's true. Corona uh, sucks. Yeah, I like that. That's the only two beer options generally in the Fast and the Furious. It's either Corona or it's Belgian <laughs> ale, like Trappistan beer. It's Belgian ale. Every bar has two I didn't, I didn't read it, but uh, The Ringer wrote an article about how Corona became the beer of Fast and Furious, and apparently it wasn't product placement. Just the, wow. the article. That was just the subtitle. Oh. It was like. It wasn't that's, product placement. Ben Diesel just genuinely <laughs> loves Corona. Sad. That would be my guess. Yeah. Read the article. <laughs> I'd hate to assume. <laughs> it feels like it feels like it might be like just like an LA thing because Corona is pretty popular in LA. Get your feet in the sand. Yeah. Crack open a Corona. <laughs> Find your beach. It's basically the equivalent of I live my life a quarter mile yeah. at the time. <laughs> Boy, it all comes back around. I, I, love, I love I love how they take the piss out of that in a, in a twerk. <laughs> he says that. The, the love is just, just thing like, that's the stupidest thing anyone's ever said. <laughs> I was like, thank you, Joseph Gone, for pointing that out. 
<laughs> I like it. <laughs> I like. I live my life a quarter mile at a time. It's funny. It, yeah, like. I'm more of a life is a highway. It's stupid, kind of guy. but it's also like it's funny how stupid it is. It's just like I don't have friends. I have family. Like. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> Again, I like that as well. <laughs> <laughs> Very revealing podcast. That's exactly we're going to go to the Fast and Furious series for wisdom, though. Go to Han and Tokyo Drift. That's where the most interesting wisdom is provided. Mm. I believe it. Han seems to be the character that Justin Lin liked the most of all of the characters that's probably why he didn't come back for the seventh one mm. he was like i'm only doing movies that have han in them <laughs> i wonder if revet would have liked the fast and furious series yeah he liked like stuff i bet he might have he, just, he does yeah. like absurd I mean, he liked things. verhoeven before before it was cool to like ripping. verhoeven he liked it okay. a lot he liked uh starship troopers a lot yeah i was gonna ask like does he like interesting yeah. trash Yes, that would be necessary. Like it, I don't know whether or not uh, Guy Van likes the Fast and Furious movies, but he's exactly the type of director who likes stuff like that. Like mm. he loves Charlie's Angels mm. too, Full Throttle. Really? Oh, that's nice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's a nice guy. It's one of the many things that Guy Man and I have in common. <laughs> uh. Um. I didn't have to take many notes yeah. on this movie because I didn't really know what to write down. Uh, and we've covered a lot of it. <laughs> I wish I knew what any of these people were saying. That's my most yeah. important note. <laughs> I like how it's always taking place in mundane surroundings. We've sort of yeah. touched on that, but I like how like the climax, like this big duel, the titular duel perhaps, uh, is just in like a, a park in Paris. Like I, that's what I was getting like Kuchar vibes from. They're just like, all right, we're in this park. Might as well happen yeah. here. And like you always have the mundane around them, like in the most explicitly fantastical scene where everything goes dark. Doesn't it start and, like, in a yeah, metro, metro as well? Yeah. I believe it does. That's yeah. why the camera yeah. keeps moving metro like station. from one side to the other and you see Viva like, oh, now she's here. Whoop, now she's there. Mm -hmm. Look at that. It's oh, like that's really, great. really awesome. Yeah. Like lots of mirror <laughs> tricks. I that was awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and there's like this big oh. duel for the fate of the earth and like it's just like taking place in like Paris urban yeah. area with the lights off and you can still hear the cars <laughs> going by like they didn't edit them out in post. Yes. That's a lot of fun. That's really good. <laughs> it's like the yeah. anti-Marvel Cinematic Universe. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Life doesn't yeah, stop I, for the dumb movie. Right. <laughs> I I feel like I feel like that was like the closest Marvel has come to to doing something like that was the end of Ant-Man where they fight in like a, a playset, like they're actually fighting in a yeah. playset. Yeah. And there's like actually just a toy train running them over. I was like, yeah. this is hilarious. Like Peyton Reed knows what he's that's, doing. <laughs> that's probably my favorite final action sequence of any of the movies, but for sure, like even that is like winking. Like mm. when they're just like fighting in his daughter's room, in some ways that's almost even better slash more mundane. And when it comes to the playset, because it becomes like a constant stream of like Marvel jokes, like granted jokes that I enjoy more than I normally enjoy them because I enjoy the way Peyton Reed sets up punchlines more than your average Marvel director. But still, it's it's still big in a way in which it's drawing attention to its mm. smallness. If that makes any sense. <laughs> True. It does. I, I can see what you I see. I see what you're getting at there. What about James Gunn? He's got a great sense of humor. A <laughs> super great. sense of humor. <laughs> it's really interesting when you play 70s bubblegum pop against scenes of violence. <laughs> what an unusual juxtaposition. Yeah, instead of, instead of like... <laughs> what if you had... What, if, what like an unusual strapping, <laughs> Like a strapping loner, uh, you know, uh, spaceship pilot guy who's like 
kind of misogynist, <laughs> but you know, also has like a heart of gold and is just like looking for the right woman. Like that's a totally original, hilarious character. <laughs> Wasn't on board until I heard he had a heart what, of gold. What, what, if, what, if, what if they like tied somebody to a chair and there was seventies bubblegum pop playing and they cut his ear off? Like what? I wouldn't know how to feel. That's super original. Seventies <laughs> bubblegum pop getting like a bad uh, rap. On this podcast, oh no, it's great music. <laughs> really, tearing. Really no, just how it's used yeah. in movies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The way that the way that like, contemporary very, film directors yeah, use I mean, it for sure. Generally, because like that song, you probably know the name of it. I've forgotten it, but the one at the dance off at the end of Guardians of the Galaxy is one of the like greatest songs of all time. Ooh, oh. child, oh. things are gonna get a little bit easier. Yeah, that yeah. song rules. Good song. Five stair steps. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, generally yeah, people are it's a good song. bad, but like, I, you could say like ninety percent of the times <laughs> people use like humor. music <laughs> is it's bad, like like pop soundtracks, it's it's bad. Um, like, For if anyone's pathos. interested in a more long form discussion of this, check out the loose cannons <laughs> video analysis of music in which I discuss the many ways in which music is used in films and how it's normally used reductively either to enhance the emotions you're already feeling or undercut the emotions that you would be expected yeah. to feel. Oh, uh, yeah. Nice one. Nice one. Mm. Uh, yeah. Just like at the end of uh, end of tour when he's dancing around to Brian Eno. It's like, this isn't very moving. It's just moving because it's a yeah. very good Brian Eno Big song. Ship. That's a great song. <laughs> Yeah, Get out of here, console. Yeah, yeah big ship's great. Worst, but it's just like this song to is so good. It doesn't even matter what's playing on screen. Yeah. I know. I think they to did connect that it in back, a... and I'm. Never mind. Sorry. This is very unimportant. Go yeah. on. <laughs> oh, I was just going to say, connect it back to something that we mentioned earlier. And I don't even know if it's like an un unintentional joke, but it works that way, anyways. It's the ending of Bochervai, because, like, eh, like. It almost seems like the way in which Claire Denis has him dance is to undercut the idea of a song, like, <laughs> providing you an emotional catharsis yeah. or something. That, like, the movie doesn't really have one, and then, like, the rhythm of the night is, like, kind of a weird choice to begin with to provide emotional catharsis, and he's Very dancing, so. like, so straight-facedly and seriously and, like, so yeah. intensely that, like... <laughs> You can't like connect the performer to the song whatsoever, and it just feels like such a weird and strange way to use pop Man. music in a film, especially the film that preceded it up until yeah. that point. See, yeah, uh, yeah. Good on I you, know, like, yeah, yeah, that like that scene. I know, like now, uh, I, when I was in Berlin like a month ago, and I played that's I played Rhythm of the Night like in the like at eleven in the morning or whatever. And it was so great. Um, Ironic. And I, I can't listen to that song without thinking about that scene anymore. Because it's so good. Like, And that enriches the song. Rather than the song making the scene like better than it actually is. In this case, it's like an actual scene that makes the song better for being in it. Like, that's, when, that's what you really want. I have a much with. worse example of that. <laughs> Please. Happening to me, which is that I used to watch the TV show uh, So You Think You Could Dance a lot. <laughs> and one of my favorite dances ever on So You Think You Could Dance was to a Lifehouse song, wow. which I hated. But then once that really great dance was to it, I was like, now I always think of that really pretty dance when I hear that song and like I get a little bit emotional. And I was like, man, that was such a good dance, such a good season of So You Think You Could Dance as well. Sweet. <laughs> I showed it to um, Colin, who's also been on this podcast, and uh, he like he got upset <laughs> because we were watching it, and he was like, "I hate that this show is making me like this song." It's <laughs> like I hate this song so much. How dare they do this to me? <laughs> Lifehouse long con. Yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to think of other good examples of this. Oh, sorry, my. Well, I, I was going to say, Ilya, there's another connection to you and uh, Rhythm of the Night, which is the, the episode of uh, Talking About Practice that you were on ended with the song <laughs> Rhythm of wow. the Night. I forgot about all that. Uh, I don't know if you did that, but like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, 
good old talk about practice. Sure. Um, we sure outlasted that podcast. Yeah, Ruben also did that. <laughs> yep. Did you? Yeah. I just mean they they have yeah. like twelve episodes and we're at like a hundred. Did you do that too, Patrick? Weren't you on it too? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Nope. I, I I expressed interest in it, but I never okay. got around to being on it yeah. at any point. I think now Sally and Mario aren't <laughs> friends anymore, so <laughs> it doesn't look like it's going to happen any, anytime soon. Yeah. yeah. Boom, live journal. Woo! I would be interested on appearing on a podcast that Sally hosted again, but I feel like it's far more likely that Mario would start it back up with someone else than Sally would make. A new podcast, in which case, uh, I have no interest in starring in Mario's mm. podcast. I feel that. I feel that. Anyway, um, does anyone have anything else they want to say? I think the last thing I want to say is like next time we'll actually watch this movie with like the sound turned off and like with music, like just pick a soundtrack to play with it. <laughs> we'll definitely. Yeah, it's a good. It's a good like one to play in the background yeah, of the party. Sure. It's like did, music playing. Did that with Showgirls once. I love just and like it playing went, visually it striking really, movies. It was really good. <laughs> Showgirls has some great cinematography that like works super well in the <coughs> background. <laughs> um, yeah, it does. This would be a much more hipstery choice, I suppose. But uh, pretty good one. Yeah. Uh, you'd play this in a craft beer place. Yeah. <laughs> While sipping on some Corona. Some Corona. Crack it open that Corona. I've seen it three different times playing in the background at bars, and I always think it's a solid choice, and that's Point Break, the original, Catherine Bigelow's Point Break. Hmm. In fact, the only thing that I would say is, uh uh bad about Point Break is that it might be too visually arresting and that it's going to draw your attention yeah, away from totally. the conversation you're having and you're just going to want to stare at Point Break on the screen. But also feels like a movie you can enjoy without the sound. That's true. I buy it. Just, just with the ocean and the homoeroticism. Two things I always look for in films. Should make a list. Yeah. All right. Uh, I guess that is it. Mitchell, thanks for joining us as always. Um, you are enjoying the podcast, Mitchell specifically, but also <laughs> listeners as well. Uh, you can subscribe using your podcast listening application. You can write a five-star rating and review on iTunes. You need to use your computer for that. Um, they won't let you do it on your phone yet. Um, you can go to our website and check out uh, all of our content, like the video that I just referenced earlier. Also, writings. Um, Basil's been doing lists recently that are pretty interesting read. Uh, as sort of like a avant-garde abstract version of film analysis. Um, and then, of course, you can go to our message boards, which uh, I think Patrick knows the direct link to, but Basil has also started embedding them in the new podcast. Whenever a new podcast comes out, instead of having the discus, which we used to have, Basil has a link to that specific uh, thread on the message board. So you can go to the message board, sign up there, and participate in message board discussion. Yep. And uh, as we're trying to do, when we remember uh, the next movie, and I'm pretty sure that this is definitely going to be the next movie because I don't think our next new movie is going to be coming out for a while, um, is going to be Frederick Wiseman's Welfare. Should be the Woo! next movie to podcast Woo! on. That's a very so, strong pick, guys. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. I would... Say, I would not be surprised if Ilya doesn't show yeah. up on that podcast, considering I just looked up the runtime. <laughs> well, I know, I know that Mitchell, Mitchell's yeah, watched it, so maybe it'll be a second, second appearance for you. Well, no, I, I, <laughs> you know, I actually have not? time next week, so let's see. Oh, yeah, 
both of the next ones are long. Because uh, yeah, welfare is first. That's like two hours and thirty-seven minutes, and then uh, Lone Ranger is next, and that's oh, like two hours yeah. and thirty minutes. Lone Ranger <laughs> in the house. That's right. That's uh, right. We voted for Gore Verbinski Lone Ranger. Oh wow! <laughs> this lineup's great. Get ready. <laughs> Buckle up. I uh, I should show Mitchell the five possible choices that I gave. I would love to see how somehow we ended up with Lone Ranger is still yeah. beyond me. <laughs> excited to see it. I was just thinking to myself the other day that I really need to get around to seeing Lone Ranger. I don't know. Maybe it's on everyone's mind. Something's well, in the water. Time for a gore. Basil said he approval. refuses to be on that podcast. What? So maybe you could be. What? You could replace Ilya on this one, and then Basil yeah. again on that one. I like being the switch maybe hitter. The, like cultural appropriation <laughs> of Ghost in the Shell made people like, wait, what was the other big cultural appropriation movie? Oh right. Oh right. I want to see the lineage <laughs> of influence one. here. Yes. yes. All right. Wow. I love Army Hammer. I love Frederick yeah. Wiseman's welfare one of my only five star letterbox reviews great stuff oh, wow. <laughs> keep up the good work <laughs> yeah <laughs> all right everyone thanks for listening we will have you listen to us again yep. later ideally bye bye <laughs> Thank you.